When they had quite satisfied their appetites, drinking and eating, then did Telemachus and the illustrious scion of Nestor, yoking the team, climb onto the chariot, bright with adornment, out of the courtyard gate, and the echoing portico drove it. Atreus' scion accompanied them, light-haired Menelaus. He in his right hand carried along for them wine, honey-hearted, in a gold goblet, that they might make libation at parting. Standing in front of the horses, he spoke, with a gesture to pledge them. Now, young men, farewell, and to Nestor, the shepherd of people, give my greeting. To me, like a father, he was in his kindness. While in Troy we were fighting the war, we sons of Achaeans. Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to him, giving an answer. Certainly, Zeus loved Lord. When I go back there, I will tell him all these things you have spoken. And would that I also, returning homeward to Ithaca, finding Odysseus at last in the palace, might say how, having met at your hand all manner of friendship, I come, bringing as well so many and excellent treasures. As these words he was speaking, a bird flew by on his right hand. It was an eagle that carried a huge white goose in its talons, out of a farmyard, a tame one, and shrieking the men and the women followed along. Then, when it was close to the watchers, it rushed up just to the right in front of the chariot. As they observed it, they were delighted. In every breast did the heart grow warmer. Speaking to them, thus opened Pesistratus, scion of Nestor. Tell us now, Menelaus, the Zeus-loved lord of the people, whether for us or for you yourself a god showed this omen. So he spoke, Menelaus, beloved of Ares, considered how he could say what he thought in the right way, giving an answer. But in advance of him, long-robed Helen addressed them in these words, Hear me, I will deliver a prophecy, as the immortals send it into my mind, and I think this will be accomplished. As this bird, from the peak where it had its race and begetting, came down, snatching and bearing away a goose reared in the household, so will Odysseus, when much he has suffered and far he has wandered, go back home and exact his vengeance, or else he already has arrived home and is nurturing evil for all of the suitors. Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to her, giving an answer. Thus Zeus bring it to pass, the loud thundering husband of Hera. So even when I am there, I will pray to you as to a goddess. Thus, and he laid his whip on the horses, and they very quickly hastened away to the plain in their eagerness, out through the city. All that day they were shaking the yoke they carried about them. Then did the sun go down, and the ways were all shadowed in darkness. Soon thereafter they came into Phera, to Diocles' palace. He was the son of Ortilicus, whom great Alpheus fathered. There they rested the night, and he gave them guests' entertainment. Soon as the sun shone forth, rose-fingered at earliest daybreak, yoking the team they climbed on the chariot, bright with adornment, out of the courtyard gate, and the echoing portico drove it, wielding the whip, nor against their wishes the horses were speeding. Soon thereafter they came to the steep-built city of Pylos, then did Telemachus speak these words to the scion of Nestor. Nestor, son, if you can, will you promise me now to achieve this word of mine? We can avow ourselves to be friends from a long time through the friendship of our fathers, and then, too, we are the same age. Then this journey will add yet more to our oneness in spirit. Do not take me beyond my ship, 
Zeus nourished, but leave me there, lest the old man hold me against my will in the palace, wanting to show his affection. I must go home very quickly. So he spoke. In his spirit, the scion of Nestor considered how in the way most proper to promise him this and achieve it. So as he pondered the matter, the best course seemed to be this one. Turning the horses toward the swift ship and the shore of the deep sea, he unloaded upon the ship's stern the magnificent presents, all of the garments and gold Menelaus had given the young man. Then to arouse him to action, in these winged words he addressed him, Go aboard now, and give orders to all the companions to set forth quickly before I arrive at the house and report to the old man. For in fact I know very well in my mind and my spirit how overbearing his temper will be. He will never release you, but will himself come here to invite you, nor do I think that he will go back without you. As it is, he will be very angry. So having spoken, he went on driving the fair-maned horses up to the Pylian's city and quickly arrived at the palace. Rousing the comrades to action, Telemachus gave out the orders. Comrades, set in order the tackle inside the black galley. Then let us board it ourselves so that we may accomplish the journey. So did he say. They carefully listened to him and obeyed him. Hastily then they boarded and took their seats at the oarlocks. Then, as he busied himself in praying and offering victims, there by the stern of the ship to Athena, a man from a distant land came close, who for killing a man was an exile from Argos. He was a prophet, and as for descent, he was sprung from Melampus, who had at one time dwelt in Pylos, the mother of sheep flocks. Wealthy, he lived among Pylian folk in an opulent palace. Then he had come to a country of strangers in flight from his own land, also from great-souled Neleus, the noblest of all men living, who had kept back by force till a whole long year was completed, much of his substance, and meanwhile Melampus in Phylacus' halls was bound in wearisome bondage and suffering mighty afflictions, first for the daughter of Neleus and then for the terrible madness put in his mind by the goddess Arenes, the smiter of houses. Yet he fled from his doom, and he drove loud bellowing cattle over to Pylos from Phylaki, paying with shameful exertion godlike Neleus' price, and the woman he took to his brother, there in the halls, for a wife, then went to a country of strangers, to horse-nourishing Argos, for there it now was appointed that he should keep his dwelling and rule over numerous Argives. There he wedded a wife and erected a high-roofed palace. Then Antiphates fathered, and Mantios, powerful scions. Next in turn, Antiphates sired great-hearted Oecles. Son to Oecles was Amphiaraus, the rouser of people, whom in his heart Zeus, lord of the Aegis, as well as Apollo, loved with all love. But he did not arrive at the threshold of old age, but was destroyed in Thebes, on account of the bribes that his wife got. He in his turn had sons, Amphilochus and Alcmion. Mantios too was a father. He sired Polyphades and Cletos. Cletos, however, because of his beauty, was carried away by dawn of the gold throne, so that he might be among the immortals. While great-souled Polyphades, Apollo created a prophet, best by far among mortals, when Amphiaraus had perished. 
To Hyperesia he migrated in wrath at his father. There he lived, and he uttered his prophecies there to all mortals. That was the man whose son, by name Theoclymenos, then came close to Telemachus, taking his stand there. Him he discovered pouring libations and uttering prayers by the swift black galley. Raising his voice he spoke, and in these winged words he addressed him. Friend, since here in this place I have found you offering victims, I entreat by the victims you burn and the god, and as well by your own head, and by those of the friends who accompany you now, tell me the truth as I ask my questions, conceal from me nothing. Who are you? Whence do you come? What city is yours, and what parents? Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to him, giving an answer. These things, stranger and friend, I will tell you exactly and fully. I am of Ithacan stock, my father Odysseus, if ever he was alive, by now he has perished in wretched destruction. Therefore now, having taken companions along and a black ship, I set forth to inquire of my father, who long has been absent. Then in return, godlike Theoclemenus spoke and addressed him. So I too am away from my country, a man of my tribe I slaughtered, of whom there are numerous brothers and kinsmen in horse-nourishing Argos, who mightily rule the Achaeans. So, to escape my death and the blackness of doom at their hands, I take flight, since my destiny now is to wander among men. But take me on your ship, since I as a fugitive beg you, so that they may not kill me, for I know well they pursue me. Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to him, giving an answer. Now from the balanced ship I will not thrust you who desire it. Come then, there you will find entertainment such as we have still. So having spoken to him, he took the bronze spear from the other. There, long ways on the deck of the tractable galley, he laid it. Then he himself straightway went on to the seafaring galley. There in the stern he took his seat, and beside himself he made Theoclemenus sit. They loosened the ship's stern cables. Then, to arouse them to action, Telemachus bade the companions lay their hands on the gear. They eagerly heeded his orders. Lifting the pine-hewn mast, they fitted it into the hollow mast-box, stood it upright, and then bound it fast with the forestays, hoisted the glistening sail with the ropes well-plated from oxide. Then was a favoring wind sent down by bright-eyed Athena, rushing along through the air in a blustery gale, so that swiftly running the ship would accomplish her course on the salt seawater. Close by Crunoi they went, and the beautiful stream of the Calchas. Then did the sun go down, and the ways were all shadowed in darkness. Hurried along by breezes from Zeus, she headed for Phaei, then by illustrious Elis, in which the Epeans are rulers. Thence he drove her ahead to the Thoai, sharp-pointed islands, pondering whether he would flee death or be taken a captive. 